I think brands who are asking those questions, being willing to try and be transparent in their trying and talking to their customers and letting them know, like, we believe we're figuring this out with you. Let us know how it's going. I think brands who do that are going to be the ones who have a better relationship with their customers and are going to be able to figure out and navigate their way through kind of these uncharted waters that no one really has a playbook for. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. And we are live. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And no, I'm super excited to be, for you to be on the podcast. Uh, you have a crazy awesome uh, resume and marketing branding, and I'm sure you're going to have a ton of insights for the listeners. But uh, before we do all that, perhaps maybe give a little brief background about yourself, who you are, and uh, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm excited to be on. You've had quite the, the list of people on here before, so the bar is high, as we were saying earlier. But I appreciate the chance to, to talk with you today and, and, and explore kind of my background and what's working in the marketplace today. You know, prior um, you know, to this conversation, you, know, you and I have had a chance to talk a little bit. And my background uh, right now is as the director of marketing e-commerce at Filson. Uh, if for those that don't know Filson, uh, we've been around since 1897. Uh, so not a new brand, uh, you know, we're a 120 plus year old brand and that's a continuously operating brand, right? There's, there's a lot of brands out there that you'll see. I think consumers sometimes see a, a, a date or a year on the logo and assume like, oh, well maybe it's been around that long. Like we've legitimately been around that long, started in Seattle, still in Seattle, literally on the same street, first Avenue that we were when they started in 1897. So I have the privilege of leading a really inspired and dynamic team, uh, at Filson in the out outerwear and outdoor apparel marketplace, uh, across content, e-commerce, social PR experiences, um, paid media catalog strategy, all the, the fun, interesting, cool revenue driving pieces that, uh, ahead of marketing would get to work on. Uh, but prior to that, uh, was with a storied brand here in the Northwest with REI, uh, and spent my time with them leading a number of different projects from the opt outside campaign that some people may be familiar with and working with a really dynamic team across a lot of different channels, bringing that to life. Um, and, and outside of opt outside had the chance to work across paid media, uh, branded content and number of different pieces. And, and REI uh, was not my first foray into the outdoor industry, but it was where I got to have a chance to really flourish in that space. Uh, it's something that's true and near and dear to my heart. As uh, if, you, if I'm not on a conference call or in an office space, you probably will find me on a trail somewhere. So getting the opportunity to work in the outdoor industry has been a dream come true. Absolutely. Kind of stepping back a little bit. I'm, I'm always curious, uh, having, like you mentioned, all the guests on the podcast, but um, growing up, were you like super into marketing or how did you kind of fall into uh, your passion and love for marketing? Yeah, that's a good question. It's one of those where, you know, I don't know if I would have thought of someone as being always into marketing, 
but you know, and talking with my, my parents, they will say that I was always a kid who had a lot of ideas. There was always have an idea, always asking a lot of questions, generally curious, wanting to understand how things worked, why they worked that way, why they weren't done a different way and always throwing out, you know, different ways to do it. You know, and I think for me, what I love about marketing and where I find, uh, kind of the energy from a role like this is really in that, that space. And it's that blend of art and science, you know, it's where like ideas and analytics meet. So it's that left brain and right brain. It's not just fully creative and being in that creative zone. There is a place where you get to scratch that itch around like understanding the why behind the different pieces. And for me, I think where I found my niche in marketing has been in that space where it's a little part creative. It's a little part analytics. Um, you're owning a piece of the business, you're driving that and understanding consumer insights and then solving that problem in a really creative and dynamic way. Hopefully that resonates with those folks. And so, yeah, I don't know if it's something that where I'd say I've always been into marketing, but I've always been someone who's, you know, always sitting around, you know, thinking of different ways to do things. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you mentioned the art plus science, left brain plus the right brain. Uh, but what would you say, is like your unique skill that's really helped you uh, become so successful in the marketing realm? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, we, we've talked about this recently in different team meetings. You know, we've asked folks, like, if you had a superpower, if you were a superhero, but you like your super, your superhero team is like other marketers, right? Like, what is that skill set? Uh, and it's kind of a fun question to hear your team answer and kind of talk about, you know, for us and me, what I, I think what it really is, is the ability to kind of like see the end-to-end experience we're presented with an idea, we're presented with a problem to solve. I think for me, it becomes very easy to see like, here is the, the clear path of everything and how it can all fit together based off what that objective is. You can see what the email cadence is. You can see the experience. You can see how you can use it from an advertising perspective. You can see how it makes sense from a customer acquisition to a customer retention and seeing that whole thread very clearly from end to end and then finding the ways to engage your team and engage the people you work with to take those nuggets of ideas or those tracks and expand on them and make them super dynamic. And so, yeah, it's like, for me, it's like, oh, I can see the levers very clearly in this and here's how we need to go forward with it. Absolutely. No, I love that, Doug. Uh, somewhere along, I saw, I, I was doing some creeping, I have to admit, <laughs> on your profile. But I <laughs> it's admit, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that uh, you mentioned bringing brands to life and really building that community. Um, but from your perspective, how, what are some of the components to really um, building that brand out and having that community? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, it can be done in a lot of different ways. And I think brands you know, are not just one thing. It is every touch point that a consumer or potential customer comes in contact they start to frame what that brand is about. And it's little things that a lot of people don't think about from the color palettes that are used to the fonts that are used. You know, it's so all of those pieces start to add up. It's like meeting a person, right? Like you on your first date with them or you go on a coffee with somebody or you meet a new business person. As you start to form that relationship, you know, you start to understand that person's world a little bit. I think one of the most interesting places in building a community, especially in a world today where everything is so digital, and everything is so so um, virtually based, and now more so due to the the state of affairs with COVID and the pandemic we're in. But prior to that, <laughs> I think one of the things that I saw translate across multiple brands for multiple years was having a really strong experience strategy. 
and thinking of experiences beyond just events, right? It's easy to look at an event and say, okay, we have an event, we have a store event, we sponsor a thing, we bring people out. But looking at experiences as a way to shorten that gap from unaware to consideration very quickly and looking at ways to bring your brand to life through an experience, um, be it through a, a film and a movie premiere and a partnership to having someone come you know, into the four walls of your retail space, if that's something you have, it gives you as a brand a chance to like see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, and really quickly get what you're all about versus the longer path that may come from small drip pieces through a digital campaign. And so like when I made my, my move over to Filson, that was something we spent a lot of time talking about. What is that willingness to have an experience strategy? How do we want to build that philosophy out? How do we engage it both in our stores and how do we engage partners outside of our four walls and off premise as an acquisition model? I think we think a lot about acquisition in terms of advertising and, and digital and search, but looking at experiences as a way to acquire new customers, which is something that we are quickly uh, prioritizing at Filson. Even though we've been around for 120 plus years, there's a tremendous amount of people probably listening to this podcast who are quickly typing into Google or Bing or the preferred search engine, like, what, Filson, what is that, right? <laughs> And so it's interesting because either people know us and will sit and tell you a 10-minute story about the first time they ever discovered a Filson product through something that was gifted to them or handed down, um, or other people will just go like, never heard of it. You know, and they've lived in Seattle their entire life. And it's like, are you kidding? You've probably driven by our big sign and manufacturing an office a hundred times, but have never realized it's there. And so for me, building that community can take place in a lot of different ways, um, now an experience strategy that's both physical is really challenging right now, right? There's, there, we're not doing those things, but we fa have found ways in the last three months to take the core principles of what we've done from an experience perspective, right? We try and have something that's entertaining. We try and have something that's educational that brings some of our brand pillars to life that has a conservation or community angle to it. And we sat down and we said, well, we can do that on a virtual place or in a virtual place. Just because we can't do it physically, how do we do that virtually? And we launched an entirely new program from, we had the idea, I think, on a Saturday night, and a week and four days later, we launched our first Filson Live, which was a partnership with a, um, with a musician and guide who we've worked with for a long time. We did a first live concert. And then we started kicking off every Tuesdays we were doing educational how-tos, um, and, and learning and, and things where people could kind of tune in and see how something's done to just a good old, uh, concert on a Thursday night when sometimes people just needed to escape and engage. And we, we donated and we asked our community to contribute to these different organizations that, um, felt like the same thing we would do in person, but now we are able to do it in a virtual world that we found ourselves in during this pandemic. No, absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, Still finding those ways to connect with uh, potential customers and um, audiences is super important, especially like you mentioned during this COVID pandemic. Uh, it's interesting that you say, though, that uh, acquiring new customers is kind of top of mind for you guys. Have you seen any like difference or from your perspective, um, how to manage uh, branding and marketing during a time of um, uncertainty like this? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have anything specific to point to necessarily in, in a shift in how we, um, have seen the pandemic and the conditions of today impact, uh, new customer acquisition. 
other than I think anecdotally in, in, in having conversations with, you know, coworkers and friends and other consumers of other brands, obviously people are really cautious with their dollar right now, right? They're, um, as they should be, and it makes total sense. Um, and so spending is a considered spend and the purchase we're asking people to make is, is one of, you know, um, a higher price point than other brands. Now we would say it's because our quality of our product outlasts and there's nothing more expensive than being cheap. And, you know, we have wonderful customer testimonials of people who've bought a pair of tin cloth pants. We manufacture here in Seattle that have lasted them 20 years. And so we're trying to find ways to bring that value proposition more front and forward. Or in the last few years, we've really worked hard to create kind of the brand ethos of what we stand for, connecting people with the wild and meaningful different ways. And now we're trying to find that that um, other creative form in showing some of the value in the product beyond um, kind of the fun wild side of Filson. We've you know kind of added a new um, kind of messaging technique to the quiver. Mm, I love that. I just want to step back just a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, obviously, when you first started, um, you've went through lots of trials and tribulations. And now uh, I was reading on your profiles again that you're a brand innovator, 40 under 40. But um, perhaps for our listeners who are maybe just starting out or building their own brand, um, what's maybe one piece of advice uh, that you wish you would have known uh, when you first began your career? Yeah, that's a fun one. It's a little bit to be introspective and think back to like, man, what have I, what could I have known back then? It's, it's a lot, right? Like you think back to the, you know, the things I thought I knew when I was in a role, it's like, oh, I've I've got it figured out. And I look back and like, man, you definitely did not have it figured out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that's kind of something that actually would be good to know back then. It's like, you know, this idea that like, no one knows everything that, you know, people are still figuring it out and are dynamic learners at all stages of their career. And that would be kind of the advice. And I actually got some of that. One of my favorite bosses, Karen Guido, she's a former CMO at Qdoba. And she said, you know, be a learn it all. Don't be a know it all. And Mm -hmm. I took that. And it's been one of those things that I have just always kept in the back pocket of things to pull on and consistently being hungry and looking for other places for inspiration, um, looking for things even outside of the category that you may be in, right? So for a while I was in in the restaurant and fast casual space from a marketing perspective. And one of the things I remember very, you know, distinctly was being at South by Southwest one year, trying to attend a, you know, one of the sessions, couldn't get in to whatever the one I was I wanted. And we ended up sitting on like a, uh, a session on like using technology to motivate people in healthcare, which seemed to have nothing to do with fast food, right? But inside of that, to hear about, how these people were using different motivational studies to reward people with different things. We came away with like 15 different ideas on how we could leverage those inside of our existing loyalty program. And it was a good reminder that great ideas can come from anywhere to break outside of your space, to learn in different places, um, to borrow a little brilliance from, from a lot of different things, a lot of different places you know, and I think that, you know, you could probably sum that up. Just like, just be a student of the game, like just marketing in general. How are people disrupting? How are people changing things? What are consumers reacting to? And how can you make that your own? Um, would be kind of the, the, if I had my DeLorean and could go back in time with Marty, you know, and doc and be like, Doug, you know, here's a few pieces of knowledge that will help you 
uh, would be, would be the, the, the trip I'd take in that car. At least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, that's, I, I really love that, Doug. Um, yeah. As a, I mean, as an entrepreneur, even somebody starting out with, in marketing, it's sometimes hard to see um, just from, from people on the outside, you see all these successful uh, businesses or brands and you're just thinking, oh, that's, that's it. But no, people are dynamically learning, being a student of the game. Um, and then even uh, looking at trends as well. Um, my next question would be, what kind of marketing trends uh, are you excited for at the moment? Yeah, there's a lot to choose from. You know, I think one that um, I hope it's not a trend. I hope it's actually something that's here to stay, and you'll see more brands, big and small, um, step up and do something. Is this idea of brands using their power, their size, their market, their scalability, their buying power for good to use that as an opportunity, be it from social issues to environmental issues. Um, to find ways to make change inside of the four walls of their business, as well as change in the lives of their consumers. And I think that if you're a brand you know, who is not thinking about that today and don't have the building blocks or the pieces in place to build that roadmap, to figure out what that is for you, I think you're going to see a spot where this isn't a trend. It's a consumer expectation where right now maybe it's a tiebreaker, right? They may look and go, okay, I want product X at this company and there's product X also at this company. They're kind of the same. Oh, this one does something good. This one gives back. This one has drawn a line in the sand and said they believe in you know A, B, and C. And that's maybe their tiebreaker. I think you're going to see something where beyond tiebreaking, it's an expectation. Um, and it's something we're talking a lot about at Filson. Like, what do we do? How do we get better? What's right for us? How do we not chase everything? Because that's difficult too, is that all of a sudden, if everything is important, it kind of starts to feel like nothing is important. And so how do we as a brand step into that in the right way, in a meaningful way that's authentic to us? Um, and authentic to our customers. But I think, you know, from, you know, the Nikes of the world to Patagonia, uh, to United by Blue, these are brands who I think are making that a core, not just a core marketing campaign. It's a, it's a value. It's a business value. It's a brand value. Uh, I think it helps retain employees. I think it helps retain customers. Um, and I think the challenge will be is like, as brands all kind of step into this space, how do you continue to differentiate yourself and iterate and, and grow uh, and not stay static? But I think that's a trend that, um, like I said, I hope doesn't just stay as a trend. I hope it's a thing that's here for good. No, for sure. Um, social and environmental change, and <laughs> it's always a good thing. So uh, hopefully it stays. But I love what you said about um, being authentic. Otherwise, you kind of dilute yourself uh, I'm, I'm curious, though, Doug, what's kind of been the most successful uh, marketing campaign uh, that you've ever worked on? That's a good one. Uh, it's hard to choose, but I think without a doubt, it has to be REI's opt outside campaign. And what we were able to build there in that first year that it came to fruition was like nothing else. It really, uh, for us, kind of defined the brand. It put us in a in a space for where people maybe who were not familiar with the co-op and what we did and how we operated as a business and what we stood for, it put that front and center. It led with values, which was really 
you know, a place we have done or seen done a lot at that time. Um, you know, it gave people a way also to take action. So it wasn't just, here's what we're about. It's here's what you can do about it. And here's how you can get involved. And we did it because it came from a place of believing that we wanted to give our employees more time to be outside, to do that. And then ask people to iterate and grow into that. And what did that meant for them? And if it wasn't just on black Friday, that was just a moment, but looking at it as a way to say like, how do you choose to be outside? How do you go from you know, indoors to outdoors to outside? And taking that, and it could have just been a stunt, but looking at that and said, okay, how do we as a big team of people who worked on this, how, how does this become our advertising? How does this become our marketing? How does this become so, your social? How does this go on our bags and our stores? What do we do with our stores? To me, it was one of the most, for lack of better terms, like beautifully executed marketing campaigns because it wasn't just marketing. It was every aspect of the business found themselves involved with it. And it was more than just like, oh, marketing's got an idea. That's cute. It was as a brand, we have an opportunity to say something. And, you know, fingers crossed, it's going to resonate. And it did. And so looking back at that, like that's one that absolutely will be kind of the, you know, I'll, you know, look back on forever. No, for sure. That's, uh, I'm also curious though, what's, I mean, you've probably worked on many, many marketing campaigns, but what's kind of the most common uh, or guess biggest misconception about launching a new marketing campaign? Ooh, biggest misconception. Um, that's a good question. You know, I think that um, the idea that you have to always launch it, right? Like I think it's like, oh, what's the launch date? How does this happen? Where does it go? What does it look like? I mean, that absolutely is a thing, but I'm not saying launching a campaign is not, but I think sometimes this idea that we have to launch, um, a campaign in the most traditional way, um, you know, in, in terms of how they were done five, 10 years ago, I think if you're a smaller brand, you have the opportunity to test and learn into things you can, um, and should, right. Be iterating on your creative, putting things out into the marketplace, seeing what's working, building into it and having the ability to pivot and change and say, we thought we were going to go this route. And this was kind of the narrative and story we were going to tell. We we're going to twist that a little bit because we see consumers really reacting in this way. Now, obviously that's easier in digital, right? Like we, we are, we use catalog and catalog has come back in trend. Um, and that's something that's got a very long lead time and goes through a lot of, you know, creative process in terms of the shoot and the collection of the stories and the real people we go, you know, we're not hiring models. We're using real folks doing real things in Washington, Oregon, you know, New Hampshire, or uh, Canada, Alaska, you name it. And so the, uh, the process that goes into that is very painstaking, right? But um, being able to maneuver and change within that, uh, I think is something that um, a lot of people sometimes think, well, let's set it and forget it. Campaign's up, it's out the door, on to the next one. Um, and we're always trying to find ways to uh, be dynamic. That's really cool. Um, I have a hypothetical for you though. <laughs> let's, yeah. say, let's say you have an extra, let's say 50% more budget. How would you allocate that? Uh, and why? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, you know, I think right now, like it's, it would be around distribution. I'd use the word distribution, right? So distribution of content, more volume, more ability. We have a very small marketing budget, right? 
And so, um, for us, we talk a lot about what the product is right. We know our audience, we know our target is right. And we have from a, you know, a content and storytelling perspective, we're seeing it resonating. It's not a matter of going back right now for us and saying, well, we need to change the narrative. We need a different story. We need a different brand. We know we've got that, you know, while we're still always playing with it, we know where that's at right now. It's a volume issue, right? We need to turn that up from six to nine or 11, right? (laughs) In the sense, like the more we can make more people aware of the thing and bring them in and help them go from unaware to aware to consideration to purchase, you know, the, the old school marketing funnel or flywheels. Now they're going from purchase to fan and they're doing the advocating for you. Um, it's a bit of that. Like we, I think we would take that and use that from a distribution model. I say distribution though, too. I wouldn't just say ads, right? Like it isn't just an ad piece for us. Uh, it is finding ways to place our, our content, our stories in a lot of different places. And that can be with an ad that can be through branded content. That can be through a partnership with a publisher. Um, so it isn't just going, Oh, I'll take another X million impressions, uh, you know, on, on, uh, the internet to please. Um, there's a lot of different creative ways that you can put your brand in front of a lot of different people and turn that volume up. Mm. What would you say is a, you mentioned that distribution and putting your storytelling and content out there, but what would you say are some of the platforms or maybe your favorite platform, uh, to do that? Um, you know, I think for us, we have seen and continue to see as many brands have tremendous success, you know, in Instagram and digital in general. Um, but our ability to uh, take a story we've written for our journal, which we really run like a magazine in terms of finding stories, contributors, editors, photographers to build the kind of the stories that go inside of our campaigns, um, our ability to highlight that, showcase that and have people, um, come to the site and really drive traffic through that. Um, and it's not just organic, right? The idea of just organic social feels like it's kind of gone the way a long time ago. It, it is, it is a piece of a pay for play in terms of finding ways to put that storytelling and content in front of those folks. Um, and we've just seen some tremendous success and continue to do with, like I said, like it's not, doesn't seem like that's very sexy of an answer. Like it's Instagram. Um, <laughs> no big learning there, right. Or unveil. Um, but it does, it has works and it continues to work. I think the other side of that is, um, again, not a, a it's kind of a no brainer, but from a digital perspective, having the ability to, um, tweak, test, learn, and grow through digital, either programmatic uh, or partner direct um, has been great. Yeah. Speaking of that uh, storytelling uh, piece you were mentioned, um, and yeah, obviously Instagram is kind of like the heavy hitter for most, uh, most brands, but you guys have such a large following, almost a million followers across platforms. Um, and you guys do such a great job with storytelling with the authentic, uh, pictures and visuals and videos. Um, but what's kind of the biggest thing Filson does, uh, that maybe some consumers or followers or even listeners don't know about. That's a good question. I think that, um, the thing that consumers may not realize, and it's really interesting is that for those who know Filson, a lot of people enter the brand and have an on-ramp to the brand through like a really specific activity or specific product. And so it was, it was interesting when I first came on board, sitting down with the team, I asked like, how did you guys first hear about Filson? 
And as we went around the table, uh, we had someone who said, oh, it's a fishing brand. So why do you think that? So, well, my grandmother was a big angler and she has this sportsman fishing bag that she handed down to my dad and my dad gave it to me. And so for me, Filson's a fishing brand. And instantly I had a, a person on the team who was from South Carolina and he was like a fishing brand. He's like, no way. He's like, it's a brand for rich old white dudes who hunt. <laughs> and I said, really? And I was like, why would you say that? Cause that's not the perception I as someone from the Northwest would ever think of. And he said, well, because where Filson was sold in my town, that was the store. That's the wholesale account that it was sold in. And then other people were, you know, were like, oh, I thought of it as a bag company. Cause I, I, you know, I'm from the East coast. People always carried them in New York. It was a bag brand. I didn't even know it sold other things until I kind of got into it. So I think what's interesting is that if you were to have that conversation with folks outside of, you know, the team that I was on back then, I think that it would probably wouldn't be that different. I think people who, um, have an experience with Filson is usually kind of through, you know, some of those different, um, historical places. And what I would say is that Filson's really dynamic, um, from technical outerwear to some of the products we have that we sell, like our Mackinac wool jacket is the same jacket that was patented in 1913. And it still continues to get, it's, it's a fun exercise when we go through and we take a look at some of our media hits for the month or the year or the quarter. I love seeing a product that's been around since 1913, get a write up in men's journal right next to the newly launched technical rainwear jacket that we launched. And it's like, what other brand can have two pieces that are literally hundreds of years apart that are being reviewed in different modern publications. And so I think what's really fun about the brand is that there's always another layer to peel back. Someone may come into it thinking it's a, a, a menswear, you know, uh, outdoor apparel brand and then discover that we have great technical pieces or that we have great bags or there's home and camp or there's a lot of different pieces to it. And so I think what that's, what's been fun kind of leading the storytelling is providing a lot of different on-ramps for people. And we talk about that a lot in our meetings, like what's the on-ramp here? How can someone come into this, be it from an email or a social post, uh, or for a piece of content that they may come into the brand this way, but as they get there, they're able to discover kind of all of the different chapters, if you will. No, absolutely. I love that on ramps. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I might need to use that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like you mentioned, having that longevity, um, it's really impressive. And um, I'm curious, so how, obviously you have to have a great product, but also what, what sort of components would you say con contributes to a great customer experience? Yeah, obviously a great product. And I think the other piece of it has been, you know, great creative. We're fortunate to have a creative leader in Alex Carlton, who's our chief creative officer, who came on and had a really clear vision for what this brand could be. And then how we needed to build all of the different pieces around that to, to fill it out. Uh, and having him as a leader has been tremendous in creating that customer experience. And for me, like to, to sometimes to, to unpack that from kind of the art side and to put that into the science side, it really is having dialed objectives. We talk a lot about it from the onset, you know, what's the objective, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How will we know if it's successful? It's not necessarily fun or shiny or cool, um, as much as it is to talk about where the campaign shoot's going to be. But if we align on those things, 
now it's super easy, sort of, to, to think of all of the different tactics that come off of that. What's the event? What's the experience? What's the ad? What's the story? What's the recipe? What's the fun way we change the form factor of the catalog or the bag at holiday that people get their merchandise in? How do we um, showcase that in an email communication? All those pieces start to fall together so easily when you have a really clear dialed objective and campaign. And to me, from a customer experience perspective, it all seems to work. It, it all is really congruent with each other and it makes them feel better about their purchase. They have really clear idea of, you know, the brand they're, they're choosing to align with what that is. I only have a couple more questions for you here, Doug. You talked about going from that unaware stage to aware to consideration. Um, but from your perspective, what's kind of like the main relationship between marketing and sales? Oh, I mean, they're, they're really kind of one in the same. Um, I mean, they have to have an understanding uh, each other have to have an understanding of what um, challenges are facing the marketing and sales organizations. I think the best organizations I've been at have listened to whatever that sales arm is, right? The wholesale folks are listening to the, the, the retail team who's there on the floor every day interacting with customers. Um, and I think understanding how they are getting um, questions or what questions they're getting from um, folks and then being able to use that as beta as information to um, play a role in product development or play a role in storytelling is huge and I think the other way the other side of that direction is making sure that your sales team again be it wholesale or retail or whatever that looks like right understands the why behind the campaigns you're doing so that they feel like they're armed to tell that story better than anyone else that they've got that information on if you're launching a new product, don't just throw it on the shelves and be like, good luck selling that. <laughs> give, give them the ammo to be able to, to, to talk about where it was inspired from that, who, who made it, how it was done, why it was done. Those are pieces that make their job super easy, especially when you're selling a high price point item. Now, not only are you making the salesperson's job easy, but you're also giving value to the consumer who can take this and tell that story back when someone goes, whoa, that's a, that's a really nice coat. What's the deal? You now given that consumer, you know, almost the talking points to replay that back. And so I think it is a symbiotic relationship, um, that is two ways and that the brands who get that and can share and listen um, all the way through that conversation, both directions are ones who uh, tend to really get it. No, absolutely. I love the, giving them ammo and talking about the story. It's always, it, it seems to always go back to storytelling um, and providing that value up front. Um, my, my next question, though, is I always ask, how has the industry changed? But that seems kind of like a uh, looking in the rearview mirror type of, type of question. But I'm curious from your perspective, where do you think the industry is going uh, in the future? Yeah, I think that's a really relevant question. You know, it's funny too, because you asked that question, you know, in January of this year, you know, I wonder how different the answer is going to be than if you asked that question sitting here in August. You know, I think the future is unclear for a lot of brands, you know, um, in terms of how um, the pandemic and the financial state of things is going to affect, you know, retail and brands uh, like it never has before. Um, I think it's going to force brands to speed up their kind of go to markets and their ability to test and learn. 
Um, I think brands um, are going to you know, win or lose much faster than they have in the past. I think you're going to have to, all the things we talked about too, um, you have to storytell better. You have to be able to um, understand, you know, we talk a lot about info, insight, and action. So what's the info? What's the insight off that info? What's the action we're going to take? And you're going to have to be able to do that quicker and know that, yep, some of those times you're going to get it wrong, but in those mistakes is where you lead to breakthroughs. And so I think, you know, I don't know if that's really clearly answering that question in terms of where the trend is going to go. I think brands, you know, I think it's an easy answer to say, ah, it's all digital. (laughs) Retail's dead. It's going to go away. Like you're never going to have that again. No, I, I don't think that's true. I think bad retail will go away. I think bad experiences may, may go the way of the dinosaur, but I think people will innovate and find different ways to do that. And, you know, it's you know, by no means have we got it figured out at Filson. We're, we're learning and, and trying to move all of the different pieces that we need to move. But you're seeing brands, you know, um, quickly change, you know, and find ways to get scrappy. And, you know, I think sometimes, uh, and we're guilty of this, we want something to be 100% before we roll it out. Sometimes you have to iterate and launch it at 80 and figure it out and go. I think sometimes during this pandemic, it's been really interesting to see brands. You can almost see it where they're like, ah, forget it. This is close enough. We're 40% of the way there. Let's launch curbside pickup (laughs) and just figure it out. Right. And you're like, oh, wow, that went smoother than we thought. Or holy cow, that's a total disaster. Um, How do you do it when a, when your store doesn't have a parking lot? How are you going to find that car? What's that look like? What are the technology partners that are going to pop up all of a sudden that can use GPS tracking to let people know where they're at? How do you use your Domino's pizza tracker style? But I think brands who are asking those questions, being willing to try and be transparent in their trying. So in in, in talking to their customers and letting them know, like we believe we're, we're figuring this out with you in an effort to give you a better experience. We're launching X. Let us know how it's going. I think brands who do that are going to be the ones who have a better relationship with their customers and are going to be able to uh, figure out and navigate their way through kind of these uncharted waters that no one really has a playbook for. Right. No, that's, you hit the nail on the head. Um, obviously with that whole uncertainty with the pandemic, you definitely have to try and be transparent, innovate and uh, adapt to what's going on. Uh, I love, I love that piece. Um, but yeah, before we jump out of here, uh, Doug, uh, I just want to quickly ask you, what maybe are you proud of that we haven't touched on, uh, in the, on the podcast so far? Oh man. You know, I think this is probably a corny answer, but, uh, I'm a dad and you know, I think that's something I'm super proud of. And, um, I know that isn't related to marketing and business, but what is related to that is, you know, I guess I'm a pretty transparent leader and that's something I learned through some of my favorite most inspiring bosses, um, you know, from agencies I've worked at to brands I've worked on, uh, people who really bring kind of their whole self and the, the person they are outside of the office to the person they are inside of the office. I think it builds trust. It builds authenticity. Um, and so for me, yeah, I'm, I have two daughters, you know, one's five and a half and one's two and a half and to see kind of the world through their eyes, um, and how they experience new things inside and outside and learn and the questions they ask. Literally, I was telling her before I came up here, I'm getting on a podcast and she had a, she said, what's a podcast? And I was like, well, that's a great question, <laughs> right? Like something for us that's so normal, so part of our daily lives. 
you know, I listen to like one of my favorite podcasts is finding mastery with Michael Gervais. Like I, it's to me, it's fantastic in terms of like the mindset of athletes and how that applies to business. Um, but just talking to her right about what is a podcast and that's like, how do I explain what this is? Um, I think things like that, uh, actually make me a better marketer, a better leader, a better business person in terms of like not taking simple questions for granted and kind of finding the inspiration in the small things sometimes. And we, we as marketers, I think as an industry tend to always, it has to be bigger, louder, faster, meaner, tougher, you know, it, to make the, the consumer hear you and break through the clutter, but there can be some of the branding techniques are in some of the, the simplest things that you, you never think of that aren't always big, fast and loud. And I think, you know, being a dad and kind of seeing that again, uh, has been kind of fun to, uh, relearn things, I guess. You know, absolutely. I love that. Having that curiosity of everyday life and really, um, questioning different and not taking things for granted. Um, you know, that's, that's awesome. Um, for our listeners though, if they're curious to know more about Doug and, um, kind of pick your brain up with some, maybe some of more of your great insights, uh, where can our listeners connect with you online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn's always a great spot. Doug Thielen on LinkedIn, uh, T H I E L E N. Uh, it's a kind of a funny last name. Uh, although with Adam Thielen in the NFL now, it's not as, <laughs> is a, uh, an obscure name or mispronounced name. Like it used to be, uh, on Instagram, I'm uh, D Thielen, um, on there. I will warn you. It's mainly pictures of me and my kids, uh, outdoors on bikes, skiing and paddleboarding. So not a lot of, uh, killer content there <laughs> in terms of marketing. But uh, people are always happy to find me there. Uh, or they can email me too. Uh, I still use good old school email, uh, Gmail. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Doug. Your insights were awesome. And I think our listeners would really love all the great uh, nuggets of golden information you gave. Um, but yeah, I usually like to end the podcast with uh, the guests uh, describing, obviously, this is the branding and marketing podcast. So how they describe their brand. So my question to you, Doug, is... What is one word or phrase that you would use to describe Doug Thielen's brand? I have a hard time with one word, so I'll go with uh, three uh, sentences. I guess <laughs> I would say a solution-oriented creative problem solver. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.